thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I say thank you, I think most startups in the show, or starts in the show, uh, because I genuinely appreciate everybody taking time out of their day to listen to the conversations I have with some really interesting people. So, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, second thing. If you haven't already, smash that subscribe button. I would really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Uh, and if you really enjoy it, I really would appreciate you sharing it out. The podcast has come to a weird point where people that I have no idea who they are are starting to listen. And I also, I mean, I don't really know who's listening, but I've heard from people like, oh, I listened. And I was like, oh, you know, I probably could have predicted that. People are starting to listen that I have no idea who they are. And it makes me so happy because... Not only are they listening, but they're appreciating it. They're sending me messages or they're, you know, creating feeds or posts about it. And it means a lot to me. Um, It's pretty bizarre that that's happening. And I knew it would eventually happen. But being in the process, it's a little strange uh, because you don't really think about those kinds of things. But uh, it makes me feel really good. And it makes it gives me a sense of a sense of fulfillment um, in that regard. Like I said, if you haven't already, smash that subscribe button, share it out, tell somebody about it. Um, you know, that's and that's also how we grow the podcast. You know, by people sharing it out and telling other people about it is is really how you know it comes down to sharing it and getting it into the eyes of different people. Because part of the sh- part of the show is for people to learn from it, and I think I'm doing a pretty good job at having that happen. Um, if you want the website Brutally Honest Podcast, yes, it's still in construction. Yes, I have a million things going on. I apologize. Uh, Instagram, Brutally Honest Podcast. My personal, Harrison underscore Baron. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, we're just rocking and rolling. Um, I have a new lineup of different guests, different industries that I'm looking to get on. Uh, I'm super, super excited. Just trying to bring you guys some really good stuff. Uh, I'm trying to find locals and whatnot as far as the entrepreneurship world goes. And just interesting, interesting people. You know, that's that's always been a goal of mine. So um, my guest today is Dr. Ben Goldman. He is a, a plethora of knowledge in different fields and stuff like that. I say stuff because you just... We just go on so many different tangents, and I hear so much and learn so much from it, and it's pretty powerful. So, uh, without any further ado, please welcome my guest, Dr. Ben Goldman. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming down here today, Ben. I know it's uh, quite a trip for you. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know if you're the furthest podcast guest I've had yet. I just want to let you know that I've had somebody come from uh, way south in Maryland. That's further. Uh, right around the D.C. area, so they uh, they took a trip down this up to see me. Up, uh, I took a trip trip east. Yes, yeah. You're over in what Pennsylvania? Um, in in Jersey. In but Jersey, it's basically, it's like coming from Manhattan. Okay. Oh, all right. So not too bad. No. Not too bad. The uh, so, Ben, from from what I gather, uh, you you've done quite a bit in your life. Uh, I've I've gone through your website, uh, Wild Call Weekend, right? I have so many questions. I just want to let you know that. That's good. I hope you're ready. Uh, I'm. I don't know, but I I know that I'm I'm pretty blank. So you have to you're gonna have to lead me on. 
Should, no, I mean, by all means, we'll, we'll go down that path. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll start. We'll start right from the beginning. You have a PhD. I do, that's, and it's nothing related to what you're doing. That's as far not as the beginning, but that's oh, all right. So you, so how about this? <laughs> no, you take me from the beginning. No, you know where did it all start? You know can, where it was like we can start there, but it's you know because I want to end up in Wild Call Weekend because I think it's super cool what you do, but I want to hear the whole path to getting there. I think I was in my early 30s when I got my PhD. Okay, so if that was the beginning. And you're not even there yet. Then, then so uh, go even before that. What was <laughs> you know? What was the reason for the PhD? Well, uh, my doctorate is in, it, well, it's in public administration, which almost sounds like not a, okay. a degree, but essentially, it's kind of a, a mix between uh, po- politic, political science, and mm-hmm. economics, and you know, I, I guess. I like to say that my uh, when growing up, my mother was a politician. She was the uh, like the ward leader. I grew okay. up in West Philly, okay. like a tough neighborhood in in, uh, in in Philadelphia, and she was the the like the political boss. Mm-hmm. And my father was a scientist. Gotcha. And he was at University of Penn and was an expert in birth defects, and so I became like a political scientist, um, basically. Uh, I mean, I didn't know it, but I think I was kind of subconsciously trying to meet my parents' expectations and splitting the difference and trying to, okay, you know, work on causes that would be good for the world, mm-hmm. you know, from my mother's side and then from my father's side, trying to be, you know, very kind of analytical and rational about it all. So, uh, you know, so my PhD is basically it's it's the science of of uh, how uh, to intervene in society in ways that you can measure the change. Intervening in society. Yeah. So like what government can do, for example. If there's a market failure, how does government intervene to correct that failure? For example, you know, a classic would be what they call an externality. So if a, a factory... Uh, which is creating jobs and products and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The, those are the internality. Those are the, you know, the direct uh, benefits to the economy uh, and to people is you produce a product that people buy and people work to produce it and blah, 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 blah. And that mm-hmm. generates economic activity and that's all great. But what they call an externality is when that activity causes an impact to third parties, which uh, you don't like. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it starts polluting the air and the water and the land. And uh, so uh, go- then you need government regulation to step in and say, hey, 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 you can't just do this. You also have to collect whatever's coming out of your smokestack or whatever's going into the backyard or into the stream. Yeah. And um, so my career, uh, a lot, I've done a lot of work in that area, for example, in toxic waste and mm-hmm. environmental Stuff like that. So my, my doctorate is in that, and it involves a lot of um, – I've written a lot of books and involves a lot of quantitative as well as quali- qualitative mm-hmm. analytical techniques like statistics sure. and blah, blah, what blah. What made blah, you blah. get into that specifically? Well, so, to, you know, like I said, I, I felt like that was my way. I was very motivated to make the world a better place mm-hmm. and to do it in a way that was scientifically valid and – could prove that the effect uh, uh, actually was what what was intended, and 
you know, to kind of try to have a big scale, big, big effect. So that's, so I got a doctorate in it. When I was, I start my first job, like real job after college was in a think tank. And I, I did work on uh, actually military economics. I was like a, Oh wow. That's pretty cool. Expert in weapon systems. And, um, uh, but there, uh, the money kind of ran out and that's when I started doing more, more environmental work. And then, you know, and as I worked in that field, you know, the only people would only listen to people that called themselves doctors. So I just kind of slowly got got the degree and it was kind of a weird, you know, my life as a young man was a little unusual in that uh, I had a kind of very early takeoff and I did some work that ended up being hugely significant in my early 20s are you allowed to talk about it or no yeah I'm oh allowed. sure feel free no well, i figured you're working <laughs> Wait, on you allow me to talk i don't I, know. I, I figured you know you're working on government weapon systems it's probably not i don't well, know if you had you know clearances and whatnot i'm sure you probably did no no, no 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 that that work actually was uh you know it's interesting that that work was for a think tank that was kind of uh 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 interested in you know reducing the the possibility of nuclear catastrophe mm. so it wasn't at all for the government it was kind of uh uh what do you call it like a like working for a nuclear freeze that kind of thing gotcha. uh, i didn't have any clearances anything like that okay. although um i became expert in uh my first company was a data company called mm. public data access and i became a- expert in get, getting information out of the government and oh, so wow. a lot of stuff that you hear now like phrases like hacking and yeah and big data and data mining and yep. all that stuff i was doing that believe it or not in the 80s yeah when, before when, it was a thing well before those phrases even existed yeah uh and so we did definitely have access to a lot of information which probably nowadays i wouldn't be able to get access to uh like one of the things i'm really proud of that i did was i was the guy that proved that the U.S. military was the largest generator of toxic waste in, in the world. And the way that I did that was I reverse engineered the Army surplus database. That You know, like Army surplus stores? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So the, the Army has all these excess, well, all this surplus goods, like uh-huh. bo- boots and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. clothing and and MRIs and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And But they also tracked barrels of waste. Oh wow! So among all the different categories of stuff, they um, it included. I, I could track down. I could figure out waste streams, and I figured out how to identify them. Uh, first of all, I got the data mm-hmm. from you know like a Freedom of Information request, and uh, and then I I was able to reverse engineer and calculate the quantities of, uh, of toxic waste they were generating and it became, you know, that was like one huge toy. But the, the thing that I, some of the stuff that I did that was, you know, very influential, like one thing led to a um, presidential executive order was I was the first person to prove that there was a national uh, uh, that, to prove nationally that there were higher concentrations of toxic waste among among people of color and among lo- people of lower income than, oh, wow. than among other people. And that became this, it created a whole social movement or, or helped to build the social a social movement. It created a whole academic field, uh, and it, which is called environmental justice or environmental racism. 
um, and it became, you know, hugely influential. There's like, like I said, there's there's now public policy from the federal level all the way down to local go- governments, and it was, you know, the this this study that I did and that was published in 1986, I think it was called uh, Toxic Waste and Race in the United States. Oh, wow. And I did it for the Commission for Racial Justice of the United Church of Christ, and it became you know a big deal. That's one of the things I did. Another thing I did was I, um, we were the first people to provide access to like comprehensible data about congressional finances, mm-hmm. like who was paying, paying, buying, um, who's buying off congressmen and yeah. senators in our legislature. And, uh, that was, again, it was during the Reagan years. And at that time, I don't know if it's still true, uh, the Republicans were way ahead of the Democrats in terms of using, at that point, the, uh, state of the art technology for, uh, marketing, which mm-hmm. like now it's social media. Back then it was direct mail. And it was all, you know, the, the main, one of the key tools was zip code uh, data. Uh, so one of the key things that they used back then, and I, I can see they're actually returning to that now, was using, was doing a- a- analysis and doing stuff with zip codes. Anyway, we, we were, because we were data experts, we were the we were able to get this congressional finance data and reorganize it and present it in ways that people hadn't seen it previously. Sorry. Um, and um, the Republicans, because they were so far ahead, they considered this essentially giving away their or providing access to their um, to their marketing data. And so they did not like that. So mm. they, they got Reagan's Federal Election Commission to sue my company. Oh, wow. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and we won a ma- major precedent that and that was not overturned until – have you heard the, of the case Citizens United? Yes, I believe so. Which is like the major Supreme Court decision that is that has kind of now allowed – so what, what our, our case was one of the cases – uh, that made it difficult to hide who was funding y- your campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, who it made it very difficult to hide where money was coming from in the federal uh, election system. And then Citizens United allowed this whole backdoor yeah. infrastructure of um, I forget what they call them, but b- basically you could fund group organizations that um, can then funnel money in, and it, it's all become a, a, a you know black box again. Um, so anyway, that was another big thing that I, I did back then. That, that gives you a sense of the kind of stuff I was involved in in my 20s. Gotcha. And I, uh, you know, it was crazy. I I, I got, um, you know, I, I, I was then got federal appointments and stuff. I, I remember I had a, I had my, one of my books was uh, featured. At, 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 do, you, do you remember USA Today? It used to be like yeah, one, yeah. one of the major newspapers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Al Gore had uh had his book called earth in the balance which, which was his main major first big environmental book and oh. his book there was a picture of his book and a picture of my book like side by side uh-huh. each other and um uh mine was called the truth about where you live and it was a an atlas it was a, it was like the most comprehensive atlas of environmental health issues mm-hmm. in america uh and he wrote me a really nice letter endorsing my book and i lost the letter 
because oh. it all happened so quickly. It just seems so. I didn't even. I didn't kind of quite get how unusual it was to get a letter from the vice president, or to you know, I didn't yeah. quite get how unusual everything was that was happening to me. And um, anyway, that's pretty wild. And actually, that was all before the PhD. <laughs> Damn. So so now you so you got the PhD because. You wanted people to essentially listen to you, you know. It was we did hit a weird, you know, couple of years where actually shouldn't even say a couple of years. It was probably along the lines of a decade um, of where it was, you know, oh, PhD, PhD, PhD. You know, who's a doctor in this? Who's a doctor in this? I feel like it was right between like the ni- mid nineties to like mid, you know, early to mid, uh, early to mid two thousands. Where it was, you know, at least that's how I felt, where it was like, oh, if you have a PhD, you're a somebody. If you don't have a PhD, you're a nobody. Well, I don't know. I know I got my PhD in the early 90s, so I guess I was one of the crowd. Um, but I, as I was doing all of that important work, there were certain slights and disses that happened to me because I, I was a kid. You know, so for example, when Clinton signed his executive order uh, based upon my work, uh, I was not in the room. Instead, they, they uh, one of my partners who had gray hair and a PhD was in the room because they didn't want a kid. Uh, they didn't want to, I guess they didn't really want to admit or reveal that a young, that a, uh, you know, just a kid was the one that did, that proved yeah. it. And that really kind of, you know, that's one of those things in life that has that has bothered that bothered me for many years and yeah. so you know getting the credential uh was in some ways a reaction to that and then the truth is soon after i got the phd i left that field so it didn't even make any difference yeah yeah now what made you leave that field if you know well you work so hard to get this essentially piece of paper and, you know, you spend all this money and time and education and stuff like that and then you leave i mean i it, uh, i wouldn't quite say it that way because it's, it's not just a piece of paper it's 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 um uh it's learning it, it it's it's mastering you know a phd isn't just a piece of paper it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a confirmation that you've um supposedly mastered a uh a field of a body of uh well you know in my case and in any kind of sci- scientific work mm-hmm. you're mastering a set of techniques, a body of knowledge, but mm. not just a. F- but it's not just like that. You become uh, a dictionary that you you have you've memorized things. It's more that you're able to implement uh, certain scientific methods and approaches, and that someone oh. could come to you and say, "Let's say, how would I prove this? Or how would I find out whether this is true? Or how would I discover this? Or do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, or absolutely. They, they could absolutely. also ask you, what do people know about That's this? That's the best, I don't want to say definition, because I don't think definition is the appropriate term, but the most clarity, the best sentence with the most clarity in defining what a PhD is. Well, I mean, it's generic, it's different in different fields, you know, yeah. like a PhD and in French literature is going to be different, very different than a PhD in quantum mechanics. Yes. Uh, but, but I would say for both, it's they're, they're, if they were just static and you then just were repeating, regurgitating stuff that you memorized, yeah. you know, it's... I think in a world today, that pre- wouldn't, it wouldn't even hold, hold value at that point because... 
yeah, things are changing and moving exactly. so quickly. Exactly. So hopefully if you've done that amount of work, you've developed the skill to be able to uh, advance the field and advance the state of knowledge. And that requires creativity as well as, as knowledge. Gotcha. Um, but for me, I had, you know, I had been fairly successful and uh, in the field. And as I kind of climbed the ladder and was being given more and more prestigious positions and, uh, and work, I felt, you know, what I was doing was more and more removed from, you know, like I'm kind of a street, feel like I'm a street fighter. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just can remember certain things, like a couple things ha- happened. Like one thing was I were I, at that point, I started doing a lot of international work, like with the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was running an organization called the Citizens Network for Sustainable Development, which was the organization that coordinated U.S. non-governmental organizations in the participation of the what was called the Earth Summit mm-hmm. in Rio de Janeiro, which was the, at the time the largest gathering of heads of states mm-hmm. that had ever happened in history. And it was all about like seeing if you could join economic development with environmental uh, mm. protection. And um, they had this concept called bracketing. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay, so like so. when you have a multilateral negotiation, like uh-huh. in the United Nations, uh, where you have mo- multiple countries trying to agree on something, mm-hmm. they they have a document. Yeah. And, the, and in the document, there will be these brackets. And within the brackets will be contested language. Okay. And oh, so, wow. So the goal of the negotiation mm-hmm. is to reduce the size of reduce the number of words within the brackets okay so that by the time you're done Mm -hmm. the brackets are gone and every word that's left has been agreed to gotcha and so i watched that happen and what happened you know what what it what it looked like to me anyway was that all the teeth and all the substance yeah disappears and by the time you're finished you have a vapid document that has no it just sounds beautiful and means mm-hmm. nothing and and that's so that's kind of like where my world felt like it what i was i had become so removed from actually the reason why i got involved to help people in the first place um and i, I remember another thing which was i was uh part of my work involved low level radiation so I, I i did a lot of i did work all over the place but part of it involved toxics and and radioactive substances and I did some major work on uranium mining. Uh, oh, wow. And um, the largest source, for example, of, of uranium in the 20th century was Canada. Uh, and that's what fueled the, you know, the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and mm. Nagasaki. And that's, that's where much of the uranium that, that is used in nuclear power plants. It's oh, not I didn't true. Know that. Now that's it's very Ka- interesting. Now it's Kazakhstan, I think, is the largest supplier. But back then it was... Uh, Canada and Canada is still a major supplier. And uh, my dissertation actually was uh, an analysis. I think it was the most comprehensive analysis ever done on what the costs and benefits of the, of nuclear power are taking, basically starting from cradle to grave, starting with the uranium mm-hmm. and, and what happens when you pull the uranium out of the earth all the way to what do you do with the nuclear waste. And... Um, uh, 
that work actually helped stopped, stop the expansion of nuclear power in Canada uh, back in the 90s. So that also was important work that led to important um, results. But at one point, I was, do, I was giving a talk at a hospital in Saskatchewan, like okay. 2,000 miles out in the middle of nowhere from, you know, from New York's <laughs> perspective. And, um, and it was about a very specific thing, uranium mining and the low level, the effects of the low level radiation and blah, 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 blah. And the head of radiology of the hospital stood up. And he held up this piece of paper and he said, you know, he starts like accusing me of being like a fake or a phony scientist. And it's and I could see that what he was referring to was a um, like a, a smear sheet about well, it was mostly about a co-author of mine, but about a co-author of me mm-hmm. uh, that was bi- that was published by a front of the nuclear industry that was called something like I forget what they called it. Like, you know, it had some name like Clean Energy yeah, Association. Yeah, of course, yeah. And uh and he, you know, this is a scientist, not a scientist, but this is a highly skilled doctor, you know, radiologist. Uh, and he, and what he was saying, well, here, I can just tell you, we, we had, sh- th- this, there's a strange fact, which is that, you know, over time, life expectancy gets longer, right? Yeah. And so, um, and you can redirect me if I'm talking to you. No, 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 no. I'm enjoying all this. Questions. This is like okay. so unique and so far from like, what I expected me to talk about or yes, yeah. but I'm like super interested in this because, you know, I have a lot of people that come on the show that are experts okay. or, um, you know, self-declared experts in their fields. Um, nothing against them, but you know, there might not be an expertise in a field of that nature. And typically we're falling in their field and this is, you know, I know you for a while. It's called weekend and yeah. stuff like that. And this is, your early years and it's so interesting and i'm learning so much about all of this and uh, i mean please continue this is like well amazing in my mind well okay so to foreshadow i guess i see that that period of my life i Mm -hmm. was became an expert of societal change Mm -hmm. and the stuff i did caused change in society in other words you know caused change in in government policy that caused that actually affected people's lives at the level of society Mm -hmm. not even just at a family at a personal level or family level or organizational level but it actually affected every everybody in like a country or everybody in a continent um but uh, that that work was very outward oriented and very much i think fueled by what I thought I needed to do with my life based upon early childhood experiences. But like, so I was in Saskatchewan Mm -hmm. and this, and uh, well, one of the things that that we found in our work was this, you know, life expectancy gets longer over time. So, you know, people hundreds of years ago lived much shorter lives and we live much longer lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that actually stopped happening in America. for decades and there was no increase in life expectancy there was no decline in what they call age-adjusted mortality that took place for decades and then it started again and that time started going up no then we started going living longer again okay yeah, yeah, yeah uh and that plateau that that um happened to coincide with can, can you guess I'm talking to nuclear and low-level radiation. 
Oh, with like X with uh, X rays and not no, X rays, uh, like chemotherapy and stuff like that. No, or? no, 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 no. That's done, you know, therapeutically under great control. No, this was during the years of atmospheric testing when people blew. Can I curse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curse blew shit want. up in the air. Yeah, yeah, and just had radiation and all kinds of crap going circulating the globe and pouring out in the rainfall and we did that for decades we, the yeah. russians did it we did most of it the russians yeah. the chinese it was like insanity uh-huh. and thousands i mean i'm talking thousands and thousands and thousands of hydrogen bombs and atomic bombs blah blah blah, blah, blah. and guess what across the world life expectancy flattened out so this radiologist says this guy's a liar um uh, and he basically said mortality did not go up in those years. You know, mortality continued to decline. So he's lying. Yeah. And, you know, anybody with the most basic training in quantitative stuff, it's not, it wasn't, I was, the claim wasn't that there was an absolute increase at the time in mortality, but yeah. rather that the trajectory, that, yeah. you know, the statistical trajectory which would go down like this over time, stopped going. There was a there was a discrepancy. Yeah. And and the difference was millions and millions of excess deaths was completely statistically significant. And trust me, you know I'm I'm well. You don't have to trust me, but that's my game. I know yeah. statistics. And so, and he was basically trying to disparage me as an individual. Yeah, come a little closer to the mic, brother. Uh, disparage me as an individual. Uh, and he was making a, a kind of um, really simple, like a lame comment, and that was, you know, ridiculous. And I, it just kind of hit me. So that work that I was doing was mm-hmm. basically a battle of yeah. like right versus wrong, you know, like stopping pollution and fighting polluters. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And I, and I'm like, you know what? I do not want to. I'm sick of going across the earth. I'm sick of fighting these big industries. I'm sick of their misinformation. I just kind of, I got sick of it. Yeah. And um, I needed to turn, I needed to figure out what, it wasn't fueling my, it, it, my soul basically anymore. Yeah. You know, I was kind of uh, re- prepared to do battle and to fight for good and to fight for helping people that I thought, well, that seemed obvious to me needed help. You know, preventing the earth from being contaminated, preventing poor people from being shat on, you know, and, you know, preventing racial, you know, racism having effects on people's lives. And and I just, I don't know if you'd call it burnout or whatever, but I... No, that's the definition of burnout. Yeah, I I needed to change. And um, I needed a change, and I changed actually... Big change that that was. Uh, I actually went to a a therapist at the time. I remember because it made no sense. I was at the top of my game and I was completely miserable. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was running an organization. I was flying to Washington every week. I was, you know I was having huge impacts nationally, internationally. And but in the back of my mind, all I wanted to do was to like sit in a room and surround myself with color mm-hmm. and. And this therapist convinced me uh, that I could just try it. And so I switched careers and became a painter. (laughs) 
That's what I did. Really? I was going to ask you. I was like, you have a lot of art stuff on your website. I'm yeah. curious to. So you just, you know, you got burned out. You be you sat in a room full of color and you just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to become a painter. Yeah. Now, now, here's, now you don't feel free to not answer this question. Did you ever make any money on painting? Yeah. Really? Yeah. My work is like, you know, I can say that my work is shown in 33 cities around the world and, you know, museums and galleries and. Yeah, and I did it for about a decade. Uh-huh. Um, now I was raising two kids, and I had a house, and you know it wasn't quite enough uh-huh. uh, to to raise a family. But you know, I, I I was able to make it work. Yeah. Um, I also took my uh, at the time I took my quantitative skills, and I took the savings that I had and applied them to the stock market, and that mm-hmm. was in the nineties. So I made a shitload of money uh trading also so i both made art exhibited the work and then did use my quantitative skills for 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 you know investing um and then um and then the dot-com crash happened and i got wiped out really and so Again, I had to change. Yeah. <laughs> Something else had to happen. Yep, yep, absolutely. And so I started running New Jersey's oldest contemporary art center and using my administrative skills because at that point I had run lots of organizations. And so I started running New Jersey's oldest contemporary art center and we worked, we did, you know, amazing work with, um, you know, uh, in a in a very in a city that was facing lots of challenges, still is, Newark, New Jersey. And um, uh, and I took a gallery that had been shuttered due to the former executive director and assistant being attacked and almost killed by a hammer-wielding lunatic in a, oh in a really yeah. rough, rough neighborhood. And uh, turned it around, grew its budget fivefold, grew its its uh, the number of youth we served by like tenfold, and oh, we, wow. we did amazing things with. Um, we started uh, a mural program based upon the Philadelphia uh, Mural Arts Program, and we we created murals throughout the city where where I brought money into the arts from summer youth employment uh, and. Um, you know, created incredible collaborations between different sectors of the of the community. Um, we did lots of work involving technology and art. So, I don't know if you ever heard of the Prudential Center where, where the Devils play. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like a jumbotron on the yep, side, of, yep. like a giant thing, and the Amtrak. You know, like millions of commuters go by that every day. Mm-hmm. And in between the car advertisements, there was works of of digital art produced by these inner city kids and and digital artists it was Mm -hmm. amazing and um lots of stuff like that um you know i'll never forget like uh when i was in a car once talking to one of these kids and i looked down i noticed he had an ankle bracelet on and um you know we were doing things that literally the majority of of those young boys, for example, mm. the majority ended up in the criminal justice system. And so, what we were doing was doing us, you know, what we were doing was affecting lives and and changing their trajectories from probably, you know, often going into prison to going to college. And I saw it happen over and over and over again. Um, so we helped both 
we helped the community, we helped emerging artists, all that stuff. And um, that lasted for about six years. And oh my God, what I was trying to do was so impossible. There was so much fighting over, oh, it was interesting. I was actually growing the pie as opposed to taking money from other people. But as I, the more that I brought money into the community, the more other people tried to get the money and it became this just, you know, intense racially charged, uh, you know, it's like trial by fire. And, and I had to leave at a certain point. And so I left and then, uh, shortly after that, my wife left me and everything fell apart. Mm-hmm. And that was how I started the current adventure. Yeah, that's rock bottom, basically. That was my rock bottom, yeah. Wow. So, I wow, I figured rock bottom would have happened after <laughs> the nuclear stuff, not, uh, not well, from art. I thought but, it was rock bottom, uh, but it wasn't as bottom as the last one. And that last one, probably, I'm assuming, or yeah, isn't going to be... It's funny, you know, to to look forward to go to the end of this. I kind of feel like all the work that we do on ourselves in terms of self development, in terms of mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, what they call working on yourself, like making yourself a more a more complete human being. Yep. In some ways, it's all preparation for for death like the ultimate rock bottom. Mm. That uh, might sound morose, but in a way it's like if it's like um, it's like the best way to it's it's obvious when you think about it, the best way to live your life mm-hmm. in in the moment as though it's your last moment. Yeah. Is absolutely. to be well prepared that to be to recognize and be well prepared for for what it means you know, to die and to, to that it could, it could well be your last moment or that it could well be, this could well be the best moment you have yeah. in your life at this point at going forward, you know, because mm-hmm. who the hell knows what happens when you walk out this door and yeah. you're sitting here. Interesting. Yeah. I guess, I mean, that's a great way to look at rock bottom basically. It's just, you know, I'm at the bottom. There's only one way to go, you know, and might as well make the best out of it. So now what got you into, you know, from art now, what got you into doing, you know, wild call and outdoors? And, you know, did you have a calling for the outdoors? Were you just like, hey, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go on a whim. We're just going to go out in the woods and see what happens. You know, if I die, I die. If I come back a changed person in a week, great. You know, what was that experience like? Well, so I kind of see, I, I kind of divide it into three at this point, which is I started because by becoming an expert or an agent of societal change. Mm -hmm. Then as I, my stature grew in that field, I became an agent of organizational change and I started running organizations and, uh, you know, like that arts organization rescuing them. And I became like a turnaround expert and I, I became an expert in how to change organizations to make them succeed. And then my latest phase was, uh, I don't know that I would, call myself an expert but i'm an um i'm definitely developing expertise in personal change and um so i found myself it's interesting i i uh i I think it's interesting i was tricked onto this path by an executive coach Mm. who 
I was having just a horrible time managing my staff. And I was basically hating them at that point. At the art center? Yeah. Oh, wow. I couldn't stand. I started just, I just couldn't understand any, I couldn't understand people anymore. And I, and I started really resenting and disliking people. And he's like, go to this personality workshop. That'll help you understand uh, that not everybody is the same as you. And not everybody mm-hmm. has their own personality style. And that'll help you manage your, your, your people and, or work with your people. You know, because when you're an executive, you look, to your team, mm. which would be your staff, but then you report to a board. So mm. you have, and then there's stakeholders. So you got people all around you that all you got to yeah. work with. And um, so, of course, the first thing that I learned when I went to the workshop was that I have personality. <laughs> and maybe that's partly what's involved with what's going wrong here. And, um, and then as I kind of walked that, started diving into that stuff i learned also that i'm not my personality and that kind of opened this whole world up to me and um i found that that was really all i was interested in doing which was learning more about this kind of self-development work Mm -hmm. and the more that i did the more i saw that there were really kind of two kinds of schools out there the b schools Mm -hmm. and the do schools the b schools would teach how to be you mm-hmm. know, and it's meditation and mindfulness and breath work and, you know, yoga and yeah. just to be present. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's a very important wisdom and mm-hmm. a very, a huge lineage, both Eastern and there's some Western, but, you know, very Eastern lineage of a lot of that kind of teaching that goes back thousands of years. And then there's the do schools. Mm hmm which are all the motivational speakers and like the Tony Robbins. And and that is also uh, real important uh, because, you know, if you just be, well, you can't just be, especially not in a capitalist society, you have to do, you have to produce. There's so much emphasis in our culture and society on, on doing, on creating, on, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but there were, there was almost nothing I, you know, for me, both are necessary. Yeah. Both are necessary. And there's very little. For out- obvious reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not both for obvious reasons and for very subtle reasons. Mm. And uh, maybe not so obviously there's there. I found that there were no almost there was no schools that combined the two. Mm. Um, and I actually the reason I think is because most of these schools are a product of the personality of the founder yeah and they tend to the the either like personalities that are geared towards the b stuff or personality personalities that are geared towards the do stuff mm. and um except that at one point in this journey i just had this i don't know like this just kind of intuition that i needed to um sweat and starve uh i don't know what it was but it was like uh, something in me needed to like purge and that 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 came to me it's like i i just gotta like i don't know that's i i i, I caught that that's unusual for, for me i think that to feel that but i was like I wonder, what is that and then i i realized that um one of the teachers in one of the schools that i was in also did this wilderness stuff and when I looked him up and looked up his 
website and what he was doing, I found he was involved in something called the School of Lost Borders, which had a um, program in Death Valley, you know, the hottest desert on earth, which included a fast, a vision fast. Mm. So I was like, sign me up. And I went and I did that. And this is part of, uh, you know, in in some ways the oldest, um, I think, self-development work known to man man yeah uh and uh i found it was the perfect mixture of of being and and doing and it just hit struck me deep to my core Mm -hmm. and i and there's not there's nothing like that really offered here on the east coast you can go you know to to california and colorado a little bit you go to tibet you can go you know to other parts of the world but there's very little here and i thought well wouldn't it be great to offer something near new york city where all these busy you know city folk uh could could experience this type of uh really strong deep medicine um and part of it is i think um you know, we I think we typically think of self development work as very internal work, mm-hmm. and it's true, yeah. it is. But if you're if you're doing that work disconnected from the your environment, be it just the the the, the proximal physical environment, but also like other people, but you know, also including you you know like yeah. our home yeah, on yeah, Earth absolutely. on this planet, um, it seems ridiculous. Like if we were all busily meditating and saying "Om" while there's like a nuclear catastrophe or we've you know global warming or or the whole earth is blowing up like what's the hell's the point of that so uh he died in peace and tranquility yeah while the earth is the whole place become a desert i mean give me a break that's so funny the uh yeah i think that there is uh my longest i mean my longest fast was 50 hours uh, I had a uh, previous podcast guest on here, and I think I was telling you about it, uh, Brian Costello, and um, he's very—he was very big into CrossFit, and he did a thirty-day fast, and it's actually pretty crazy. He posted a picture the other day on on Instagram, and it was pre-fast and post-fast, and uh, I think it was like pre-fast, post-fast, and like thirty days after the fast, and. Um, I'm actually curious to see if I can find it really quick off while I'm here. But the changes that he went on in his body, and he's basically switched over from a heavy protein-based diet to almost entirely plant-based. He does, And he's like, I just haven't felt the want to have meat at all. And I was mind-blown by that. And it's pretty crazy. Well... Uh, there are a lot of things that we think we know that are just kind of habits or assumptions. Mm-hmm. And one thing we think we know is that you'll starve if you don't eat, you know, which of course is true eventually. But um, the, it's amazing how long the human body can live without significant irreversible damage, without food. Mm-hmm. And it can be 30 days, it can be longer than 30 days, which most people would never, wouldn't know that you could not eat food for 30 days and you could still be perfectly healthy. I mean, you'd be in a different state and you yeah. can't do it forever, for sure. But th- there is a famous mystic named uh, Georg uh, uh, Gurdjieff 
who said, and I like this, that you can last, uh, of the various types of food, let's say, you can last the longest without, um, you know, like what we think of as traditional food, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, potentially months, but certainly weeks. Yeah. There's a guy that didn't eat for a year. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, just eat. I don't know how long you can go, but it's possible. He might have to have some kind of supplements for he, that to he work. He was very, he was excessively overweight. And, oh. uh He probably had to ha- consume some kind of supplement to. to he did. He, yeah. he took vitamins every day. Yeah, I'm sure. That's, you know, that's about it. Uh, man didn't eat for 382 days, but somehow lived and lost 276 pounds. Well, so then, then you can live for. I think it's days without water. So you yes, can, you, you can, can live like three days without water. Yeah, so it's days without water. You can then live for um, minutes without air, right? I don't think. Uh, you can. yeah, yeah. You only have a couple minutes without air. Well, it's minutes. Yeah. So these are the various things that we ingest, mm-hmm. you know, and the and when you think of how urgent it is, and then what Gurdjieff says, which I love, is that but you can't live at all. Without impressions. Yes. Um, and I guess the idea would be even if you're in a coma, your body is still, even if you're not conscious of the impressions, you're still having impressions. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still, um, uh, your body is still being impressed by the, uh, you know, in some ways the definition of being dead is there's no, uh, there's no, there's no, there's kind of the interactions have, stop, have stopped and you're just, uh, well, that, that now I'm starting to question. Anyway, but you get my point. And um, yeah, here's a photo of the guy. I just want to find. Yeah. Him. Wow. I was it. That's him afterwards. Yeah, that's him afterwards. Uh huh. And cool. you know when we, I don't know if you know anything about ketogenics or anything like that. Uh that's where you stop eating uh, carbs, carbs and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, your body starts to go into a ketogenic state mm-hmm. where it starts to use ketones as energy and, yeah. and whatnot. But, uh, yeah. Well, so all, all of that is at the level of um, body uh-huh. work, um, which is important. But uh, and it's part of the work of self-development. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gurdjieff's insight, though, is is important, which is when you get to the I'd say the most um, urgent uh, work. Mm-hmm. You're dealing at the level of impressions. You, you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Yep. So uh, there's layers of work that we have to do, um, and uh, my the teaching, the kind of starting point teaching that I use is is called the four directions. Okay. And there's lots of ways of thinking about it. Obviously, you know what the four directions are. I actually don't. Of the north, south, east, west. That's the four directions. Oh, okay, good. And those are real, right? Those are as real as the days old. Well, we've created them to be real. So keep going. Uh, you know, I think that there is. I, I've over the last couple of months, I've I've come to. I don't know if it's called broadening my mind, but um, the topic of flat Earth has been on my mind a lot, and I'm not a flat Earth believer. <laughs> But I really want to be because it just it's it's a breakaway from the norm. But with this mind thought or mindset of thinking, you know, flat Earth, I'm like, ah, you know, what other stuff could potentially be fake or man-made? So 
Are there two magnetic poles for sure? Yes. Do they need to be called North, South, East, West? No. You could name them watermelon, tacos, burritos, and, you know, uh, ocean. You know, just something, some kind of direction that we create. We also have created time. You know, there's all these different theories on time and, and time space and the time space continuum where you have, there's so many things of, you know, or God, you know, God's always a popular conversation. You know, oh, God created this, or God wanted to do this, or whatever it may be, where, you know, there's the something had to create everything, or there's the everything just existed, and it's always existed. And the only way we can measure that is by putting on this, this thing we call time, where it gives us numbers and seconds and minutes, and, and all the, it gives a measurement value to all of this. But in reality, it really doesn't matter because as long as we're here and present in the moment, time really doesn't officially matter, if that makes sense. Like we create time to help us keep schedules, to plan things, to look back on things. Meanwhile, you know, when dinosaurs were around, they they didn't think of time. They just thought, you know, it was just they were there present in the moment. And when they died, they died. And it was a very low, you know, they probably had low to no consciousness, but we have consciousness. And, and because of that, we have put these measurements and all of these different things that don't necessarily matter, but help us in day to day. You know, tomorrow is 24 hours away, but why can't it just be one sun cycle? Why can't it just be, you know, a moon cycle? There's so many other ways to measure things, but we as humans have developed time and direction and all these different things you know speed now speed doesn't matter if, as long as you're approaching something at a rate that is greater than it's leaving you you know you're you're yes you're traveling faster but you know if you're an animal chasing prey they don't care how fast they're running they just need to know that they're running faster than it they don't care about measurements and stuff like that so that's my f- philosophy on that kind of stuff well let me uh there was a lot in what you just said, but you're basically, uh, you're ready for, you're right w- with me in yeah. terms of what I talk about in the beginning of my Wild Call Weekend, which is, uh, you know, getting profoundly that even something that we assume is real, like like North, South, East, and West, mm-hmm. is just a hu- is a human creation. And it's not, it's not real in the sense that there is no thing. There's nothing. There is no th- nothing. Yeah. There is no, there, no, there, they, they don't, ex- there is nothing that exists that mm-hmm. is the four directions. Yes. So it is, uh, you know, and other ways of saying it is there's infinite directions. Or, you know, if you get into quantum mechanics, directionality f- falls apart or just, it's all just concepts. Mm-hmm. Now, to say, to go from there and say, and that, and that, that, like you like you you also are suggesting mm-hmm. uh, once you see that that is true about like our, the most basic and primitive way that we orient ourselves that it 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 infiltrates kind of every aspect of our of what of our life and our assumption mm-hmm. you know whether yeah. it's time or space or or um like whether we need to eat every day or yeah. whether we you know like all all the things that we do what is real, what's not real is much more fungible than what we think. Yeah. Now, then something else you introduced, which is also a key part of this, is then the idea of, well, is it fake? Mm-hmm. 
you know, you use that word. And I would say that that, again, is not real mm-hmm. in the sense that there, there is no such thing as fake. Mm-hmm. F- fake is a, is a word. Yeah. And it's a word that makes no sense. We can't even give it meaning, mm-hmm. it, 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 except in the context of a polarity. Yes. So fake is is something that is not real. Mm-hmm. And if there was no concept of reality, you couldn't have the concept of fa- yeah. fake. Yes, you so need to have something to have the other. They're tied to to, to each other. And so uh, the four directions is, is essentially a pair of polarities. Um, and it's the oldest system that we have for understanding uh, the world. And so that's my starting point um, in the in what I call the sacred countdown that makes up the 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 nature breakthrough method that I offer at the Wild Call Weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I explore how the four directions can be used as a kind of scaffolding for hanging just so many assumptions and metaphors and, uh, about life that we have and it's it's in you all, you name it and it's it's surprising how it is it's how much of our world is constructed um, by the, by this type of thing uh, you know it's as ba- it's as basic as you know like color like you, again we often just assume you know I'm looking at something it is black that's real like yeah. that color is real and then yeah. when you break it down you realize no it's actually just my the way my brain is reacting to freak visible light forms yeah light frequency waves. and uh, so I'm not sure what your question was but that's but I, I, I like what you said that's where that's where the teaching starts yeah. and then uh, I call that the quaternity of place mm-hmm. it's where uh, Carl Jung the psychologist says it's like a universal it's the most kind of ancient universal structure of, of thought you can find it everywhere mm-hmm. which is this kind of like pair of polarities um, and then in this countdown, we then move to three, which I call the Trinity of Change, which is the basic structure of, of um, that's been used from time immemorial of rituals for dealing with life changes. And, you know, it's called, it can be called a rite of passage. But, you know, if you go back and look, that it's also the, the structure of story. Of like any kind of story that we tell, you know, it's got Act One, Act Two, Act Three. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, they, you can, it's you can call it a severance, a threshold, and an incorporation. Um, it um, where you go from what you know, like the ordinary world, you know, mm-hmm. this is like a hero's journey, mm-hmm. to what you don't know or the non-ordinary world. That's the threshold in the middle mm-hmm. where things are kind of upside down. And then to an incorporation where you return with the elixir, you return to the to your community, you return to your known world renewed and slightly changed from passing through from that passage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is the most famous in modern like America would be like the, the bar mitzvah or, you know, there's there from, you know, like uh, ceremonies to mark transition, like let's say from the from childhood to adulthood. But you can but this type of of ritual or this type of practice, this type of work used to be used throughout life mm-hmm. because we're constantly facing transitions. And I would posit that in this day and age, change is accelerating. In other words, getting faster and faster and it's getting bigger and bigger. 
And mm-hmm. so we've, at the same time that as a species, we're facing the, uh, you know, a rate and a velocity and a magnitude of change that's faster than ever before in history, we've actually thrown out these ancient traditions of how to deal with change. And um, from my perspective, you can probably you can point to that gap, that loss of mm-hmm. tradition uh, for and almost every major problem that we face in the world, whether it's you know violence, addiction, environmental catastrophe. Uh, I feel like you know a lot of it is people doing stupid shit because they have not uh, taken the time to uh, to appreciate where they are, to appreciate how their ch- how things are changing, and to appreciate what that means that for for them and their community and what they need to do next, and that's what I offer at these at these weekend events. Gotcha. And now the the change that these people see, you know, I guess my first question is, one, do you keep in touch with these people? So I'm doing I am now. So I'm I'm an entrepreneur and I'm this is a startup. Mm -hmm. And now so this will be my third summer of doing it. And the next one that I'm doing is in August, August 24, 26. That'll be the fifth weekend that I've done. Okay. Um, and I just finished last weekend, the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And for the first time I've offered like a follow up, uh, program, which mm-hmm. would be a, like a three month, uh, zoom kind of, yep. uh, biweekly interaction with people, which I'm calling the take flight circle. Okay. And, um, so yes, I am doing, I am now offering that and you know, that'll be a new program that I'm hoping to start in the, in, in September. I'm also beginning conversations to do one in to do a, a new kind of um, event in the winter, which I haven't done. I was going to say, why don't you? Why do you do it only in the summer? Well, because those? I'm doing them in the Poconos. I have uh, access to a 62 acre estate, which wow. is a gorgeous place people can go. But even in the summer, there's environmental conditions that make it uh, for city folk, especially you know, like if it rains and stuff. But in the summer, it's warm and. Uh, it's very hot. No, it's no, it's warm and very <laughs> hospitable as opposed to doing this kind of deep work in nature in the winter it requires a little more, uh, a little more knowledge and a little more skill. Uh, so if I, so I think I'm going to do it, uh, I might offer something next winter, but it will be in the context of like a, a cozy, um, re- retreat place. Yeah. You know, where you don't have to sleep outside. Sure. Um, although, you know, there's a guy in, uh, you know, uh, uh, Live More Adventures? Live More Adventures. Yeah, Tim also introduced me to him. Yes. and Up, uh, Upstate, New York. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely make, you know, if you don't know him already. Then well, I'll, Tim has told me about him. Okay, yeah. But super, I haven't met super him. Super cool. I, uh, that's one thing that I'm looking to hopefully do in the next coming months, um, especially now that because I'm an entrepreneur as well, um, to be able to get out of my office for a couple of days, you know, schedule everything, plan everything, and then... And, you know, if I need to hop on, you know, technology while I'm there to get something done or somebody needs me or has an emergency, I could take care of it. And then, you know, kind of do something like that, you know, up in a house or in a lodge. And I don't mind camping in a tent. I actually went camping uh, last weekend uh, with Tim, nonetheless. Um, But I think, you know, this whole transformation of, you know, obviously of day one, day two and day three that I'm looking at on the website right now is is 
pretty transformational. And I'd actually be curious to know why you only make it three days and not longer. Well, like the one I did in Death Valley was, uh, f- I think, 14 days or something. And the fast was like four days or five oh days. Oh, my God. 14 uh, days. Holy shit. So and but it was the same structure, which is what I learned. You know, yeah, you have yeah. a you have a preparation, f- preparation phase. Uh-huh. Then you have the threshold or the fat the fast in the desert. And then you have a, a kind of debrief mm-hmm. uh, phase where you inc- where you discuss what happened. Um, and what what I'm you know, if I bring that to. New York City. Mm-hmm. Who's got fourteen days to? to no, fourteen you know, days. But you could probably do like a fourth or even maybe a fifth day. I could you do it to like a Wednesday to a Sunday or something like that. I, I could definitely make them longer. Uh, what, I, what I'm I'm starting with three days because what I'm trying to do is what's the absolute minimum? You're talking about time. You know what's how can I squeeze this into the most minimum package mm-hmm. to give people a taste of this work. Uh, for busy New Yorkers. And so that's why I designed a three-day event. And it's intense. And trust me, the 36 days in the woods alone with nothing to do, not even... 36 days? Six, 36 hours oh. I mean, in the woods alone with nothing to do, not not even eating. Uh, everyone, that's that, that, that in and of itself is a huge uh, deterrent for people to yeah. come. So um, I'm trying to make this like a, a bite size to get people on this road. Uh, and so this is like my introductory thing, but for sure I could do longer and it could be more intense. Yeah. Most people find this alone very intense. Like a lot of people are like woods, like tent, like hell no. Or Expe- I yeah, especially on the- in New York City. Yeah. yeah they're so far removed. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty intense. You know, definitely intense, uh, especially for people that don't spend any time. Yeah. You know, outdoors. And when I say outdoors, I don't mean, you know, they walk to work. I right. mean, like trees around them there's yeah. no technology yeah. you're losing cell phone service or it's you like have no cell phone service. radical unplug yeah you know well even if you have cell phone service the recommendation is turn it off that Do you, you know, take their cell phones or no, no but you know what i advise is that you observe the three taboos which is no food no shelter no contact meaning not even don't read a book you, you do you're you are to be alone by yourself now do people bring books yes and do they you know do they do they not listen to me for sure and do they bring their cell phones sure and do they have a tent sure you know do some people have medical reasons why they can't why they need some form of food sure you know all that it can happen but the 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 ideal would be to to just not do any to to not do any of that that you would do in your normal life Mm -hmm. um you know and people I think before they go, they're full of fears of, of uh, you know, bugs, of animals, of being hungry, of, of um, uh, you know, a tree falling, of like lightning, of, you know, just like a million things t- that they're f- afraid of. And then when they actually do the weekend and they sit in the woods or they, you know, they spend time in the woods for 36 hours with nothing to do, they realize that, you know, what the biggest problem is? Yeah themselves yep it yep. has nothing to do you know they'll, they'll be lucky if they see it if an animal graces their you know crosses their path uh-huh. that'll be the highlight of their of their weekend yep. um but it's it's spending time alone with nothing to do mm-hmm. that for most people that come on this uh weekend they've never done it before which yeah. is kind of a remarkable yeah, statement yeah, yeah. um but it's true i would say the vast vast majority of americans certainly in urban Amer- america have never even done anything remotely like to spend 36 hours yeah. with nothing to do not even eat it just in nature now um shit i forgot what i was gonna say 
Um, oh, when you do this with these people, do you also fast for 30, 36 hours? I fast, but I'm, I kind of play a different role. When I first started, I, uh, I tried to enter in the same, I tried to kind of be one of them in a way, like do it with them. Well, like what happened was I, I, I took a turn sharing at the, on the third day Uh and I could see it just did not work. It was like, I, I was playing a role and all of a sudden I was out of character and uh, people didn't want to hear my story. They wanted to share their stories and I was yeah. looking for feedback from them yeah. and nobody wanted to give it to me. And I re- so I haven't done that again. So I play the role of the teacher uh-huh. or the guide or whatever. Uh-huh. And, and I, st- and, and so I respect the, the format and I fast, but what I do is I stay at the, there's a house there. I stay in the house. Mm-hmm. I'm available for emergencies. There's a beach on a, we have a beautiful pond or lake. And what I, what I do is I do a kind of beach meditation. I groom the beach so that when people come back, it's a beautiful white sand and I pull out every, every little piece of grass. And that's what I do. And I, and I, I found actually, it's funny this time that I did the fourth time I did it is like the, the fasting had no effect on me at all. Like I had no loss of energy, no craving, and the day went no even like, oh, when is this going to be over? It was just super fast day, and I did chores the whole day. Just, um, you know, like I made a new uh, – anyway, I just – I'm, I'm the caretaker. Yeah, but, yeah, but no, absolutely, yeah. So it's a different experience. And, it, and it's funny, it poured lightning last Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, ha- we kind of smudged people out into the woods, and, and that ceremony got – constricted because it started pouring rain we just had to do it really quickly and send everybody off and in the end i wasn't smudged out so i never even kind of like officially entered the threshold so i kind of i i fasted but i i could definitely feel that i stayed in the normal ordinary world during Mm. three days so they came and went back and i held the space and that's my job gotcha yeah no it's very unique um i would definitely like to uh, I, it's funny as you're saying this and stuff like that. I'd be curious to see, um, you know, obviously we, the three of us know Tim, but you know, Tim is a much more survivalist kind of feller, and I'm I'm a bit of a survivalist as well. You know, I probably don't have the skills that Tim has, but I'd be curious to see, you know, hey, let's see what happens in 36 hours with Tim, and let's see what happens in 36 hours with Harrison, and who has the most insane camp? Because I can't imagine me sitting for 36 hours doing nothing. I would go insane. So I would immediately start to build a fire and shelter and, you know, give me a knife and that's, you know, that's it. I have to figure out everything else out. Um, well, so first of all, one rule for sure where I am is no fire. So no fire. Don't do it. I'll send you home. Really? Yeah. No. Why is that? I don't want you sitting fires. I guess forest. if you're not trained. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want a million things to go wrong. I'm not. That's yeah. the kind of. So like I am very safety oriented. Uh-huh. Oh, good. People are afraid of. Of a million fears, but oh. you know, I've never had any anything go, gone wrong. So knock on wood. I yeah, mean, yeah. there are certain hazards which I can review with you, uh-huh. but it's uh, you know. But uh, I definitely don't want forest fires. I there's no need for a fi- fire. Yeah. Um, now, of course, if I were to do something like this in the winter, there probably still isn't a need for a fire. But um, I could review it. But the the whole point is is that people that. People's mind go in minds. People instinctively go into survival mode when they think into the woods with nothing, mm-hmm. and they think it's about like a survival on a physical plane yeah. of like, what am I? How am I going to 
catch my meal and yeah. how am I going to protect myself from the elements and uh-huh. and and like the four directions you know what the orientation day hopefully will is get you to essentially kind of calm down and center yourself and realize that's all just construct that's all mm-hmm. just in our heads do you all, give them water by the way yes okay yes everyone takes a gallon of water okay and um yeah i'm not so what 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 the what the heart, what the heart, what the what the hardship is, and what would be interesting to see what Tim does or you or anybody uh-huh. is wh- exactly what you said, but you said it quickly, uh-huh. which was you would go insane. Yeah, like that. No, you w- you will not go insane unless you have a mental illness. Where uh, yeah, then things can happen, uh-huh. and, I, and I definitely have you fill out a health form so that if I think there is yeah, mental yeah. illness Absolutely. involved, that uh, that. It doesn't mean you can't do it, but I might need more therapeutic support for you to do it. Uh And in fact, this type of thing could work well with people with mental illness, but I would need more technically trained people in the in the group than I would for just a a, a kind of healthy, mentally healthy population. But it is that it is that that you're going into the woods for. It's like why it's like, okay, I I, there's this poem I I. encountered which is kind of it's not the best poem but well it's like it's like i don't care what you do for a living you know i don't care what you know i don't care how old you are what i care is if i if you go into the woods alone you know have you uh have you ever met that person Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do you think of them how do you feel about them how like how you could say time is a construct but what will what w- what will it be like for you to be with that person with no th- no distraction for thirty six hours? Yeah. That's the work. Yeah. And so I don't care what Tim knows about knives and trees and animals and plants and uh, he could have a huge body of knowledge in it. And in a way, it may be relevant, but it, if it's probably more about I don't want to point out Tim, but if a person is doing that. And is focused on survival in that context. Yeah, that is probably more about things that happen. More about how they responded to their early childhood mm. to feel safe and to feel grown up or to feel like a whole yeah. than it is about anything like quote unquote real in their present environment that is actually threatening them. Do you, mm. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so you know the toughest like militarized dude like masculine let's say because it's usually associated with the masculine guy uh you know the invulnerable the whole that whole thing Mm -hmm. uh is well one of the directions Mm. and you know part of what i teach is well do is that's that's not all of life yeah and if you're only over there you're missing out on yeah. a lot of stuff yeah. that guess what is vulnerable mm-hmm. is soft not hard is wet not not dry do you know what i mean yep, it's it's absolutely. and so maybe you might want to try to see what would happen if you just forgot all all of that and mm. just allowed yourself to be exposed and allowed yourself to feel the vulnerability and you know that might be the work Mm. So it's di- so. What you're saying basically is it's always so different for everybody. It's always very different for everybody. Mm. And now, what are the typical experiences that you hear from these people? Are you allowed to share what they say or no? Well, um, 
So the first thing that I share, a lot of it, a lot of what I teach is learning how to listen and learning how to communicate. Mm -hmm. So there's both intense group work on either side that sandwiches the intense alone work. And so the first thing I teach is how to uh, talk to each other in that context. And I put that within the four directions. Let me see if I can remember. Um, and we can call this the way of counsel or it's how to create like a safe container for work, doing this kind of work, which is deep work. Mm -hmm. And I say from the South, you want to be of lean expression. And from the West, when you're sharing, you want to speak from the heart, which means you want to be open and present and spontaneous. And then from the North, and if, as you hear the teaching of these directions, it'll, you'll kind of get why I'm putting these things in the directions I am, is confidentiality. So what is said in that container, you know, stays in that container. Mm. You know, what is Vegas, the Vegas thing. Um, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then from the East, you want to listen as if your life depends on it. Mm -hmm. Because it, it might. Yeah. It might. It may, may well. And if you are being authentic and reaching deep it, it it better depend on it because otherwise you're wasting your time yeah um so i can share things generic that's a long way of answering and saying sure i can s tell you certain things but i can't tell you no specifics. people's stories and stuff yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no that makes perfect sense but uh, but you know there's i could say generically like you know the funnest thing is like to have like a well well, here would be like things that are, that are that I that as a t teacher I like to see. I like to see like a woman in a group of men, and the woman says, "I'm not going to share," and she's just just saying, "Guys, I, I'm going to just pass." Mm -hmm. And then when when the, the guys share, by the time it's the woman's turn, she feels comfortable enough to share. Like that's a, that's like a moment that makes me want to cry. You know, that's like yes. Yeah. And so, and then that, then what the woman, what the what this has happened, for example, the woman then shares and the story is just the highlight of the weekend, you know, so that can happen or, or on the opposite side, like that would be kind of like on the opposite side, you ha you've got the toughest kind of macho guy that goes out there with no tent or nothing. And he puts up with all of it and he comes back and he says, oh, okay, I'm, um, uh, I get what you're doing, but this, I'm not going to come back here again. Just, just like, I just want to get home. Give me my breakfast. Get me the hell out of here. Uh -huh. And then I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Here, here's your breakfast. And cut, wait, just tell us a little bit about what happened. Nothing happened. It poured. I'm sick of this place. It's like, okay, okay, but did you, did anything happen? And he's like, no, you didn't even, did you sleep? He's like, yeah, oh, I got some sleep. And well, did you have any dreams? He's like, no, no dreams. I'm like, you didn't dream. You don't remember any dream, nothing. He's like, well, I had a nightmare, and and it's like, okay, what's the night? What was the nightmare? Yeah. And um, and I am, t I'm trying to do this without, uh, I'm trying, uh, like, I wonder if if the if the if these things I'm saying, the mm. people involved in them will, they'll probably see themselves in it. So, uh, but then the story, let's say, would be a story that the the nightmare would be something very very uh yeah Ten tender but not tender let's say like a nightmare involving a uh a, a mother mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah and then it's like whoa you know and uh, you're you're listening i'm listening 
And yeah. I'm like, oh Blown my God, away. this is a big thing. And this person is like in denial. Mm-hmm. And so then I, my job is to gently kind of mirror it and say, well, um, maybe, you know, to just kind of gently mirror and, and, and help him hear what he said yeah. or she said, you know, let me cover this as much as I can. And uh, like in that case, and the person's like, never want, I'm like loving everybody, doesn't want to leave, you know, it's like yeah. Yeah, yeah. completely. And so it happens in a million different ways and, and it can be very surprising and it can completely hit you from left field and, uh, you might think you might exit the threshold thinking one thing. And then after you share in the circle, you, you're turned upside down. Um, and a lot of that, I think that happens a lot during the weekend. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. The big macho man. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's fun to watch. So we just crushed an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. Um, you know, I know that you're uh, in the process of traveling today, yeah. so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, I want people to find you, find out about this. So how do people find out about you? How do they find out about this and all that kind of stuff? You know, I, I don't recommend giving a cell phone number away, but some people tend, some people do. Um, but definitely, you know, websites, how to contact you in that in that regard. Well, there we do. I do have one more weekend. It's coming up real soon. Uh, August 24, 26. That'll be the last one I do this that's scheduled this summer. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll, there's, I'll have a special, I have a special offer two thirds off with the, the coupon, which is, which you'll see on the website, which is wild call weekend, 2018. Okay. And the coupon is early 18 Z which is for meaning it's like an early bird. It's 2018. Yep. Z is because one of the sponsors is, is an organization called the Zerkers. So it's early 18 Z. It says it on the, on the website and you get two thirds off. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to extend that until August 15, okay. which is just two weeks before the event. So sure. I got to probably how, be up on uh, Monday. Yeah. I got to so. know how many people are coming, but I'll also, if anyone uses that past that, I'll give them like a hundred bucks off any f- future event. Oh, cool. Um, but so there's that. And then to, there's also on that website, wild call weekend, 2018, my email and phone number. Uh, you can also just go to the wild call website, which has a, you get a free gift of that gives you a, a taste of the, of the teaching. And you can also set up a, uh, like an introductory call with me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. and that, that get, that points you to where to do the call with me and, has a little form to fill out to kind of tell me what your issues are and stuff like that. So, and I have other things that I, that I am offering, but those are kind of ways of entering into the, this world of work. Awesome. And your main website is next art movement. Is that right? Yeah, but uh, not a fan. No, that's, that's kind of you. That's my, per, that's all my, that's kind of like just the grab bag of stuff for, for the wild call weekend. The best thing to do is go to wildcallweekend.com yep. or wildcallweekend2018.com. Gotcha. The, the, uh, that other website you mentioned, as you as as you can hear from uh, the inner, you know, from our conversation, I've done a lot of things. So that's kind yeah. of like I, I, there's all that goes in all different directions. Yeah. I don't want to no, people. no, it looks cool, man. It definitely looks cool. The uh, I appreciate you so much for coming out here, man. The uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, I'm glad we could work this out. And, and thanks for taking time out of traveling. You know, traveling is you're going from a, what where you are upstate. I'm going to Cape Cod. 
Okay. Oh, very nice. So I'm going from here to Greenport, stay with a friend, then I'll take the ferry to from Orient Point and keep going. Very nice. A little road trip action. I love yeah. it. Staying up there for a while? For a week with my son and my dog. And I had hoped my daughter would join us, but she just got back from India and she's hard to pin down. 20, <laughs> 21. Uh, and they're always traveling. I like it, man. Well, Ben, thanks so much for uh, for coming on, man. I well, appreciate I you taking so time pre- out. appreciate you inviting me on. And the, this uh, has been a lot of fun. This is extremely enlightening. And, uh, I, you know, next time you're in the area, I'd love to, uh, you know, have you back. And uh, and I hope to see you at a wild call weekend. I, I most certainly will definitely take you up on it. I'm, I'm curious to see if it'll be. This, it, it may be next year, not this year. But uh, I'd be curious to see what it does for me. And does, I shouldn't say does for me, does to me. Well, or what you do with it. Yes, yeah, even better, what I do with it. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think it's something being done to you. It's it's just giving you some tools for you know for forget it for getting to your next step. Mm-hmm. No, um, I appreciate but it's that. all it's all the in the you know, it's it's all up to you. Sure. I'm just putting you in an environment which hopefully will foster <laughs> foster growth and breakthroughs. Awesome. All right, man. Well, safe travels, and I'll see you soon, all right? Thank you. Thank you so much, Harry. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. The Brutally Honest Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Barron. Thanks so much. If you haven't already, smash that subscribe button. I appreciate it. Uh, tell somebody about it. Share it out. It's how we get the words, the 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 talk about the podcast going, um, you know. And I, I was told that I should probably tell you guys to to share it and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. But if you enjoy it, share it, leave me a comment, give me some feedback. I'm always always looking forward and always appreciate it. Um, Doctor Ben Goldman, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, mind blown after that episode and a lot of really cool stuff i'm gonna hope to uh swing out there and do his uh wild call weekend later on this month if it's possible and i will definitely give you guys an update of when that happens looking forward to having him back on already um as always brutally honest podcast.com instagram brutally honest podcast facebook brutally honest podcast the whole nine that's where you can go that's where you can find it i'm looking forward to seeing seeing you guys on there and uh until then i love you guys i got a great couple episodes coming up over the next uh, two weeks or so. And uh, I say two weeks because that's about when I've planned out so far. But always got that fire coming to you. Until then, love you guys. See you.